Amy, do you mind yeah. opening us up in some prayer? Thank you. Alright, God. Uh, hi. Thank you so much um, for today and for this opportunity to gather uh, to study your word in the open um, without fear, God. We don't take that for granted. Um, we just ask that you come and fill this place and uh, speak to us and individually in the ways that you know that we need to be spoken to. Just open up our hearts and let us be able to receive what you have. Uh, in your name, amen. 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 Interesting that you would mention that, Amy. Being able to, to meet and not have fear, because uh, yeah. tonight we're in Acts chapter 14, and... Can you just say because we're about to read the book of Judges, so... <laughs> well, the title of tonight's sermon is Persecuted from Antioch to Antioch. Okay. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to back up a little bit into chapter 13. Verse 51 says, But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and came to Iconium. So they're leaving Antioch, and we talked about this last week, but the shaking off of the dust is because they, the people of that city rejected them. And this is a commandment from Jesus when he sent out the 70. If they reject you, shake off the very dust from your coat and from your cloak, because that city is cursed, and it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city. So just shake off the dust, don't let it get you down. Don't let it get in your head. Shake it off and move on to the next one and stay focused. And so he, they're leaving Antioch, right? From Antioch to Antioch. And it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So that shaking off of the dust, it's symbolic. And it's sort of a, a warning to the city who's rejecting them. But it's, it is, like I said, also about sort of like shake it off. Take the joy of the Lord and uh, go on with, with focus to the next city. And that's exactly what's going on. So they're in Iconium. <clears throat> Again, if you want to check the map in the back of your Bible, you can follow along there. It says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, which is, again, what they do in every city. They always go to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles as Paul says over and over in Romans, it's kind of his ministry. He's called to the Gentiles, but the word goes to the Jews first. It says, they go to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. That's a strong word. What chapter Poison? are we in? 14. 14. Chapter 14, verse 2. Verse 2. It is a strong word. And they poisoned the minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time. So people are coming against them, but they stay there anyway. They stay there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Okay, here we have, again, this is the Acts of the Apostles, the works of God through his people, right? So we're basically, as we're going through Acts, we're seeing a lot of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in action. And here we see the gift of miracles and the gift of healings in action. 
And this is a completely different thing. It's a weird thing. It's, it's, it's interesting to see how it's spoken of here because here we see that Barnabas and Paul, they're being empowered and sent out by the Holy Spirit, but they're being sent to do signs and wonders. And the reason I say it's interesting to see the language here is because throughout the Bible, throughout specifically the, the New Testament, it'll say that the Holy Spirit or that God did this or that through this person. But here we see that we see that God is granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands, by Barnabas and Saul's or Paul's hands. And this is sort of similar to Jesus sending out the 70, where he empowers his disciples and he says, go into every city, heal the sick, heal the blind, cast out demons. And it's sort of like whoever you see that's sick, pray for them, and you're going to be empowered to do these miracles. It's a weird and different thing. We don't see this a lot in the Bible. Normally it's like somebody prophesies, like we, we talked about when Paul prophesied over the guy and the guy instantly was struck blind by the Holy Spirit right? It wasn't Paul striking him blind. And typically that's how we see things happen. But it's, it's interesting to look at the language here that the, the Lord was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders. So it's kind of one of those things that they're sent out and it's like anybody you pray for, like it'll be granted because the Lord is bearing witness of the things that you're saying. So that the, the word of the Lord is pairing up with the signs and wonders and those things going together brings tons of people into the kingdom of God. I'm going to quickly turn to Luke chapter 10. You can follow me if you want. This is actually the chapter where Jesus does empower the 70 to go out and heal people and, and basically prepare the path for Jesus. He goes in, They go into all these areas and then Jesus goes there, but he sends them all out to do these signs and wonders. And in verse 17, it says, then the 70 returned with joy. So they've gone out, they're coming back to Jesus and they're returning with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And verse 18, um, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's like, that's like, you might read that and be like, well, how, like, that's kind of not related. But this is sort of that, like, walk on the moon thing, you know? Like, <laughs> if you guys are a fan of Brian Regan, somebody who's been on the moon, that's, they always have the Trump thing. Like, people are trying to be self important and they're like, yeah, I've, I've walked on the moon. And it's like, oh, wow, that's much more interesting than I think. This is Jesus' thing. Like, you are shocked and like, wow, even the demons are like subject to us in Jesus name. And he's like, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Like that's a Trump story. Like, uh, trust me, I, I get what you're saying. It's cool. But like, I, I've seen this crazier thing. And he goes on, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He's saying, don't be like, wow, look at all the stuff we've done. He's saying, remember where it's coming from. It isn't you. 
I give you the power to do that. It's the Holy Spirit working through you to do these things. Don't get all cocky and puff-headed and think that you're going to go take on the devil. It's not how it works. Uh, rejoice that you're saved and rejoice that the works and the miracles that God is empowering you to do is bringing people into, it's bringing their names to be written in heaven. Right? Like, that's what we should be rejoicing about. Not like, hey, even the demons are subject to us, but so many people got saved because of what you empowered us to do. That's what we should be focusing on. That's what we should be rejoicing about. How many people the signs and wonders are bringing into the kingdom of heaven. Continuing in verse 4 of chapter 14 of Acts. But the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. Uh, we're going to sort of take a knee here and, and talk about this topic real quick. Preachers will say about the Christian life sort of two things. They'll, they'll be the preachers who are like, don't back down, never back down, right? And that extreme can sort of lead to militant religion uh, and kind of carelessness, right? The other extreme is God brings comfort. God loves you so much and he just wants you to enjoy your life and he brings comfort. And that always leads to lukewarm faith and ultimately wickedness. Like the Bible talks about, again, Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin that led to all of the really obvious sins that they were doing. It was comfort. It was an excess of food. It was they didn't need or want anything. They had everything. And that led to boredom, which led to wickedness, which led to sexual immorality, which led to a lot of other things. As I said, the more obvious sins that we know about Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's where that leads. And so I don't want to be extreme one way or the other. And I will say it's probably obvious, but I do tend to speak the don't back down passage. Like I, I sort of ring that bell a little more often. I don't want to be too extreme on that side. I want to have sort of a balanced view of what the Bible actually says. And again, I've said many times that the life of a Christian is a tightrope. It's straight, it's narrow, and you got to find that balance and walk with the power of the Holy Spirit along that tightrope, not falling off the extremes one way or the other. The Bible is clear that we should not back down from persecution or give in to false teaching. Okay? It also says that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And it also says that God grants his people peace. So the key here is that we don't seek either of these things. We don't seek persecution and we don't seek comfort. And that's where these extreme preachers kind of fall off as they're like, go out there and get it. You know, and you see these guys out there just trying to stir the pot and holding signs that God hates everybody. And then the other people are just like, yeah, everything is love and love is God. And that's all that matters. And it's like, yeah, 
Like there's some extremes going on here. We don't seek persecution, but we also don't seek comfort. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you. Now, when Jesus said that, he was saying that everything you need will be given to you. Don't worry about your food or don't worry about what you're going to put on. God's going to take care of that if you seek ye first the kingdom of God. But I think it applies here as well. If you seek first the kingdom of God, you will have persecution and you will have comfort. We, we seek the will of God first and we rejoice in whatever comes our way and we rejoice in whatever God is teaching us through whatever comes our way. That's how we as Christians should be living our lives. So I've got four points that we're going to go through. One, if we're doing the will of God and we get persecuted for it, then we rejoice that we are counted worthy to suffer for his name. As we've seen so far in Acts, we're going to continue to see that in Acts that persecution comes and they're like, man, like we are counted worthy. God sees us as worthy enough to take on this burden. That's how we should view when somebody talks badly about us, when we lose a friend for simply speaking truth or, or, or saying something about the Bible. We should rejoice in that, that we are counted worthy to suffer for his name. Now, remember, 1 Peter 2 says, if we suffer for doing what is evil, right, like breaking the law or doing things that we shouldn't be doing, uh, then it's not commendable by God. That is not persecution. And sometimes, and I want to say this gently, but truthfully, sometimes in very persecuted areas... A Christian will do something evil, will do something illegal, and they'll get arrested, and all the Christians will yell, foul. They're persecuting us! <clears throat> he broke the law. He beat somebody up. He crossed the line. He, that's not persecution. That's not commendable by God. He did something he should not have done in the first place. Even if that guy gets worse treatment because he's a Christian, the initial thing still should not have happened. That's what First Peter goes on over and over. Continue to act like a Christian. Continue to act like a Christian. And if you're doing that, and then you see persecution, that's commendable by God. Number two, God sends peace to his people while going through persecution. Yes, he gives us peace. When we come into that right relationship with God, we have peace with God. Then we come into the unity with God's people and we have peace with them. But when persecution comes, God sends the comforter to give us peace in persecution. The comfort that the Bible talks about is not separated from persecution. Rather, it's in persecution that you're getting peace. Right. Yeah. Number three. God sends the comforter because his people are uncomfortable. We're supposed to get out of our comfort zone. We're supposed to be doing things that isn't always comfortable. Again, we're not seeking comfort. We're seeking to do the will of God, which is most of the time uncomfortable. It's not super comfortable to like say that thing that's hard to say to the non-Christian or to go to a different country, completely uproot your life and start preaching God's word and God's love to a, a, a people that you don't know. That's not easy. 
That's not comfortable. And that's when the comforter is sent to us because we're uncomfortable. That is the word of God. Number four, uh, the final point on this topic. If persecution is coming your way and you hear about a plan against you and or, right? You hear, oh, oh, someone's coming for me. Or you hear some gossip. Hey, this guy's saying this thing about you. Right? You hear about a plan against you or persecution is coming for you. Then get out of there. Right. <laughs> right? The don't back down thing, like it's dangerous because people hear that. And that's why I want to be careful continually preaching the don't back down thing. Because if you, if you hear don't back down, then when you hear about a coming danger, you sort of pridefully and militantly puff your chest and go into it and you die before your time. Yes. So like you would think as from what you're saying and from what it's saying here, that the kind of thing that you should back down would be a harm to yourself. Like, if somebody's looking to harm you and you know that, like, physically harm you or kill you, but, like, obviously you shouldn't necessarily back down if people are just, like, being mean (laughs) or, like, yelling at you. Like, you shouldn't just, like, run away I would say, even if you're going into a situation, you're going to a location, a party, a whatever, and you hear like, yo, this person is talking a lot of trash about you, okay. and they're hosting the party. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get stoned or killed or, or you know, no, it's harmed, but it's going to be one of those things of like, I don't need to go. Yo. Yeah, in Japan, uh, we were doing our thing, right? And we knew the cops were being called. Mm. So we're like, we looked at each other, we're like, let's go. So we moved. That's not fear of man, that's knowing it's time to move on. Mm. And the apostles did it too. They're like, you know what, this mob's getting kind of, we've overstayed our welcome, let's move on. (laughs) There is such thing as boldness, but his point is really valid in that sense of like, yeah, we're supposed to be bold and stand for truth, but if we're actually doing something and we're causing a ruckus, like, peacefully leave, that's a great testimony. Because they even did that at Seal Beach when they had dramas and whatnot. Like, there was one time where something got heated and we're like, let's, let's try to do the drama at a different place. Mm-hmm. The cops were actually fine with it at the time, but they could see things are getting violent. Now, yeah, there's persecution, right? Like, Stephen was preaching the gospel and they stoned him. doesn't mean you run away because you're so afraid of man. It's like, but if you can, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit in those moments. They're tough situations. Super tough. But they're real situations that happen. I mean, I think we even had something like that happen with in Utah. I forgot what it was, but it was like, oh, the, the people with the signs and remember they were getting kind of angry at the... People like trashing the Mormons and we're like, you know what? Let's move on and not be around these people because they're, they're going at it in the wrong spirit. Yep. And so you have to be listening to the Holy Spirit on how to act in that situation at that time, because like I'm all for street preaching, right? Or, you know, open air preaching, you know, people are going to be angry. And my dad's had crazy stories of people burning the Bible in front of them, all kinds of weird stuff. But it's like 
there's no this is when it's wrong this is when it's right you have to like assess the situation say for sure but I don't know I mean it's like there's it happens quite often but there's that balance of like boldness versus yeah and that's that's the caveat that I have on this point is that if God calls you to a place or you make a promise to God that you're going to go to a place Mm. and you know you're going to see persecution like you have to go anyway yeah, because yeah, I was thinking also, I don't think we've gotten there in Acts yet. I'm Not yet. Like, I wasn't. Oh, do you know what I'm thinking of? Yeah. You're reading I was just going to say, I have it written here. Oh. This happens to Paul in Acts later. Oh, yeah. Uh, God, it's complicated. Yeah. yeah. He promises in his spirit to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I'm, this is a spoiler alert, okay? Yeah. But then... All of these prophecies start coming. Like, if you go, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get hurt. You might even die. Like, it's going to be bad for you if you go to Jerusalem. And his response is, I'm bound by the Spirit. Because he already made a promise to God. It, the, it's a tricky situation, that one. Because we don't see that God actually called him to Jerusalem. But he makes the promise in his Spirit to the Holy Spirit. And that's a big deal. You cannot break that. And we don't know, like, what God told him or not. Right. Oh, there's actually another one that I was thinking about. Oh, what's uh-huh. your other one that you were thinking about? <laughs> I think there's one where Paul gets beaten up and they think that he's dead and they leave him in the road and the disciples come and like, or he gets up or something and he's not dead. He goes back into the city we're after get, they That's actually, the tonight we're going to see that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to see that tonight. Buckle So. So it's like. That's it's like, the difference, right? Like you're saying you seek not persecution, but you seek the will of the Lord and whatever he wants. Amen. Yeah. Which is kind of hard. Ecclesiastes says, do not be overly righteous nor overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? And the next verse says, do not be overly wicked nor overly foolish. Why should you die before your time? Mm -hmm. Right? So it's, if you are going into a situation or you're in a city and you hear these people are literally seeking to kill you. There's a plan in place. It's happening right now. They're looking for you. They're going to kill you. Right. Even Jesus ran away from Yeah. Cities. And that's yeah. what happens here. And it says, they fled. Right? They became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby. They were like, we got to get out of here. Because if you don't, if you're like, do not back down, do not back down. <laughs> That's foolish, and you're going to die before your time. Again, listen to the Holy Spirit, but don't try and be overly righteous and overly wise, and uh, because that's foolishness. Mm. Yo, I heard of people in Wyoming who wanted that lifestyle so bad that they actually went out essentially seeking it, seeking yeah. to be more or less like martyrs. Yeah, that's, they, that's wrong. But then you're always seeking to provoke people, and, which isn't good. Well, and it wasn't so much as that. It's that they were ready to be like, I'm going to go to a place where the gospel is not allowed to be preached. And then we'll see. if I die, I die. And basically, a lot of these people were not ready for it. And they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And a lot of them ended up giving a lot of information away. And people ended up being... See, there's there's killed. a, there's a so. trick. And we could get off topic real fast. But <laughs> to that situation happens 
all over the world all the time. To do and the big thing is when the immaturity goes in, like I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold, I'm gonna make a stance and stuff, they're so focused on how they appear spiritually mm-hmm. that they're not considering all the other people that are in the country, yeah. the Christians that are in the country, mm-hmm. because when you get persecuted in a city, all the Christians are with you. You're not by yourself. Yeah. And so people they don't consider the greater picture of the Christians in the area. And, and a lot of times that happens where someone goes in there and tries to do something and then all the Christians get arrested. Yeah. It's tough, man. The complicated piece of this is while reading in Acts, and we'll get there, but the the story I said earlier where Paul's like, I'm going to Jerusalem. It very much seems like, if you look, it says that the disciples warned him in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are so in the Holy Spirit guess. and they're saying don't go and he's like I'm bound by the Spirit because he already made the promise that's so what I'm saying is strive to do the will of God and don't go making lofty promises because now you're now you're now you're complicated now 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 you're accountable to the promise that you made and you have to follow through on that because that is a big deal. It's better not to make a promise if you can't fulfill it. Absolutely. Yes, of course. But I, I also don't want to get to the point where we're saying, like, oh, don't promise the Holy Spirit anything. No, 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 no. We have to live in accountability to the Holy Spirit. And, and it's good to make promises to God. But, yes, be sure that you are going to be able to fulfill that thing. And don't be like, oh, well, I'm being warned by godly people not to go. I, I must not have to go. Oh, well, you already made the promise. Yeah. You, you kind of have to follow through. Then, yeah, and then it's like, why would you ask God for something without expecting him to say yes or to respond? Like, why would you ask for something if you didn't want him to say yes to begin with? You know what, what do you mean? So why would you why would you ask for something, like to make a promise, like if people were to make a promise to God and then almost be like, like he's not going to have me do it or almost like God isn't saying yes to you making a promise to him. Like, yeah, like if you want to make a promise, then fulfill it. But like, sometimes it's easy to want to promise things to God and then to be like, well, I don't know if he's actually going to be there for it. It's like, well, you said, you already said you're going to do it. Commit with him. So you better. Yeah. And we'll get there. We'll get, we'll get to Paul's promise and, and him going to Jerusalem. That's a few chapters out yet. Tonight we're in Lystra, we're in Derby. we can continue in verse 7, it says, and they were preaching the gospel there, in Lystra, in Derby, uh, in this area of Lyconia. Verse 8, and in Lystra a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up! Stand up straight on your feet! And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, apparently, the this Lyconian language was not known by the apostles because if they would have known what they were saying, they would have redirected that phrase right then and there. But it seems like they must not know what these guys are actually saying. 
they're like singing their praises and we go on in verse 12. And Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garland to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard this, they tore their clothes, which is a sign of, like, lamenting, right? They tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out. So as soon as they catch wind of this misplaced glory and this misplaced praise, they run to cor- correct it. They don't just like, what? They can't. They shouldn't do that. They probably know about heresy <laughs> by those worms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't waste any time. They tear their clothes and they run. They go to correct this misplaced glory. Verse 15, and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men in the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations, or generations gone by, which is a little more easy to understand, Uh, And bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. I'm going to flip over to Romans chapter 1. You guys can turn there too, actually. Romans chapter 1. We're going to see a little bit of the same guy writing this stuff. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his, speaking of God, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. A lot of the same points in that passage that we just read in Acts chapter 14. God is the creator of all things. Man turned from the truth, right? There's there's one truth, and a man turned from that truth. They turned from the ways of God. And because they rejected God, he let them go. He, as Paul put it, allowed all nations to walk in their own ways in Acts 14, 16. However, God kept witnessing to them To all these generations, to all these nations, he kept witnessing to them by giving them good things. Right? Number five, 
mankind has no excuse. Even if they have not heard the gospel, they have no excuse. Because you can look at creation. You can look at everything around you and get the intricacies of a tree, of a leaf, of, if you really want to get scientific, into our blood, into the molecules, into all of that stuff, the intricacies of creation all point to a creator. So mankind has no excuse. The creator of everything has been taking care of all nations, of you and me and and everybody else, even though you do wicked things. And Barnabas and Saul here in Acts, they're saying, we're not taking care of you. (laughs) We didn't heal that guy. God is taking care of you. And God is right now witnessing to you as he has been since creation. He's the one trying to get to you. He's the one trying to witness to you. He's the one trying to be good to you, not us. And verse 18, And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. They barely convinced these guys to not sacrifice to them. They're like, uh, weird. These guys are like rejecting our sacrifices. Like, they're kind of saying that the stuff we do is stupid and we should turn away from them. And so they kind of go away, like, kind of still wanting to sacrifice to them, kind of like, not sure what to think, it seems. And verse 19, then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Okay, these are sort of Paul and Barnabas's stalkers. They've come a long way. They've followed them a long way. Wait, are they? They're in Iconium right now, right? No, they're in they're in they uh, past Iconium? Derby. Oh yeah. Or no, they're in Lystra, I think. <laughs> but they're in Lyconia. So if you look at the map, you can see. Yeah. It's it's a little ways away. Right. They're in Lystra now. They're going to yeah. Derby soon. Lystra. Oh, Derby. Got it. Verse nineteen. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. They're easily swayed, but they they rejected what they they were like, we want to do this thing, and they're like, no, and they're like, what? So they're like confused, I think. They were robbing them of their blessing, because when you sacrifice, you receive blessing Uh, for sacrificing. So by saying you don't have this, we're like, oh, we're not getting blessed? Screw you. Yeah, so they were easily swayed. They probably wouldn't have done that, but these stalkers came in, and they're like, hey, yeah, they're terrible. Let's go kill them. And so they get everybody together, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. This is way more intense than that verse makes it sound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we hear about stoning in the Bible kind of a lot, and we know that Paul was stoned a couple times, right? And we sort of like <laughs> big deal. read these verses like, hey, he was stoned and drug out of the, the city. But this is like, especially when you're thinking of a mob, this isn't a couple of dudes. Like, this no, is a violent act. And yeah. stoning wasn't like throwing little skipping rocks at him. It was the, the biggest rock that you could throw as hard as you could throw. So if you can hold it, and it's not one of those, like, I can barely throw the thing. It's like, okay. if I can hold it and throw it easily, that's the one I'm going to grab. Those are the stones that they killed people with. And when Annie and I were in Paris a couple years back, 
we were in an area that was like, we didn't know this, but it wasn't a great area. We were on our way back to our Airbnb and we were walking and we see these two dudes like running and like laughing and like blow past us. I'm like, what? And then we see these other two bigger dudes dressed in all black and they're carrying billy clubs in their hands chasing after him. We're like, whoa, what is going on? So we like keep walking and we round the corner and we see a guy laying on the sidewalk and there's there's blood all over the sidewalk. He's bleeding from the head and he's like convulsing, like totally out of it, convulsing. And we were like, holy cow. And this had just happened. And so people were just now starting to crowd around and people were calling the cops and we were like, holy cow. And, like, at first we didn't know what to do, and then we were just like, you know what, let's just get back to the room. You know, the cops are coming. Because in Paris, especially in that area we saw earlier, there's dudes carrying around, like, AR-15s everywhere you look. Like, so they were, they're going to be there really quick. So we were like, all right, let's get out of here before things get real hairy. So my point in telling you that story is that Paul is messed up. Like, for them to think that he's dead, like, he's, he's... Stopped convulsing. Like, a head injury... And they probably looked right... They were probably right over him, making yeah. sure of it. Yeah. He has bled out. He has... I mean, if any of you guys have ever played baseball and, like, took the ball wrong in the finger, right? That's a baseball. <laughs> Think about a rock the size of a softball, or maybe bigger, hitting you in the face over and over and over again by a mob. Breaking bones, broke, breaking fingers, breaking your skull. Like, Paul was jacked up. And they, when he's limp and as dead as you can possibly look, they drag, they don't just leave him there, they drag him out and leave him outside the city. Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. That's a miracle. That is a miracle. Come on. Yeah. Like That's just not just like, oh, they didn't look hard enough. <laughs> like they thought the blood was covering that his face like, was actually sorry, fine. Guys, it's a few rocks. <laughs> I even I don't want to go too far here and and think beyond what is written, but like he could have been dead. Yeah. And and Paul is known for not really telling the story to make himself seem more glorious than he should. Right, and you know we don't know. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to jump too much. You don't want to jump too much, but at the same time, he was as dead as you can possibly look. And the interesting thing is, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. Mm -hmm. That's key. You don't want to just blow over that. Yeah, what if they were praying over him? For sure they were. Okay. You know he They were probably praying over him while it was happening. Sure, yeah. You know? I feel like to say he looked dead is as good as saying he might have been in this position. Because... Again, you don't want to go too far and like, he was dead. But yeah. it's like... You, but imagine a multitude of people seeing someone and being like, yeah, he's dead. Like... Yeah. Imagine, like you said, seeing that guy, you're like... I mean, you probably had an idea, like, I, like... It was hard to get... close, like, he could be... No, 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 when we got back to the room, we were all, like, a little bit in shock, and, like, we were like, that guy probably won't make it. 
Mm. Like even just see him, seeing him convulse is like, that's a massive brain injury. Oh yeah. Like that guy's probably a goner. You know what I mean? Mm. And that was like probably like one or two swift hits to the head. Not a mob throwing a stones as big as they can throw. Heck, I mean, I mean, when you think of like, this is kind of random, but when, and don't want to go too far off topic because I know you want to finish the sermon, but like thinking about, uh, Black Friday and these people who get trampled yeah. going oh, yeah. to stores. People die from that. Ridiculous I, I've heard stories of managers who have been killed from people like, yeah. stopping it. And that's just from a crowd of people running over them. This is a crowd of people intentionally, like, physically abusing somebody. Yeah. So, the disciples gathered around him. He rose up and went into the city. So, he, I guess he didn't preach, but he went back. Well, we'll get, we're getting there. Oh, never mind. He went into the city that they just dragged him out of, that the people of the city just left him for dead. And the next day they departed with Barnabas to Derby. So now they're still in Lyconia, but they go to Derby. Verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel in, uh, to that city and made many disciples, apparently these people are a little more <laughs> receptive, um, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Where all those haters are. Where all those haters are. That's incredible. For him to go back to the place where all these people, a multitude is, that's a mob. Like a lot of people are after you to kill you. And this is an incredible thing for Paul and Barnabas to do. These three cities are the ones that just stoned him to death. And he returns to them. And it says he's strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now you can suppose from that verse that he maybe wasn't doing any more open-air preaching in that so. city. He's, he's just going to the houses and like the churches and well, the disciples. That's the key thing. With, if there's a threat on your life, Yeah. There's still ministry to be done with the believers. You know, that this passage is... And he still looks and, like he got beat up, probably. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And his message would be way stronger. We don't know how long it was, but he was. He could have easily still had black eyes, cuts. Even if it was long enough for him to heal, he's got scars on his face. Plus, at that time, he's, he looks messed injuries up. Injuries don't really heal as well when you don't have medical attention. No, he was traveling with Luke, wasn't he? Not yet. Um, he hasn't met Luke yet. Well, that's, he needs him. <laughs> he needs him bad. But these people, yeah. the Christians in these cities, they, they were a tight-knit community, so they would have all known what happened to him. Oh, yeah. All they of them. So, there, so for them to see him walk into their city, even if he's not doing open-air preaching, yeah. it's a big deal that he's even in their city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I want to say about this, especially this last phrase, he says, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Jesus suffered for doing the will of God. And those who follow him will suffer also. That is a promise. We cannot fear persecution or suffering. We don't look for it. We don't seek it, but we don't fear it either. And I just want to sort of blow through a few verses that Paul himself wrote in in a lot of different areas. Romans 8 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, 
than heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Philippians 1 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And this last one isn't Paul. This is Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor... How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are you are the salt of the earth. And if you if you lose your salt, if you salt has one job to do, right? If it can't do that one job, it's useless. And it's trash. We have one job to do. Okay? And if we can't do that one job, we're not the salt of the earth anymore. We're trash. There are so many verses like this, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but they're, they're out there. And the point is that persecution is a part of Christian life. And if we are not willing to suffer for him, then we are denying him, and we will deny him. And Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. <laughs> and 2 Timothy also says that if we deny him, then he'll deny us. On that day of judgment, he will not say, Father God, this one is covered by my sacrifice. He'll say, I don't know this one. If we deny him. And we deny him when suffering comes and we're like, nope, I don't know Jesus. He'll deny us. Paul goes back to these places where he was persecuted as an example to those who believed. He's saying in that action, and with his words also, do not let this deter, don't let this, right? My face, my scars, my black eyes, whatever, you know, don't let it deter you. And he, he's encouraging and ex exhorting them in verse 22, it says, to continue in the faith. And he goes on to say, you're going to suffer too. Like, this is part of it. But it's worth it. This goes on for a short time when you compare it to eternity. Finishing out the chapter, well, not quite, but we'll finish tonight. Uh, we're going to go 23 through 26 here. So when they had appointed elders in every church... Okay, he goes back to encourage them. Then they set up the leadership. They set up the elders. They set up how the ministry will be run after they leave. And they prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. And after they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, 
they went down to Italia, and there they sailed to Antioch. Back where they came from, back where they were sent out, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. They complete their first missions trip. And it seems like it went by real quick. It was like just a couple of weeks ago that we started, and I feel like that's kind of the way missions trips go sometimes, especially the first ones. They go super fast. And it's like, shoot, it's, it's done already. Also, this was a tough one. <laughs> this is a super hard first missions trip. And I will say the first one, especially the first overseas ones, I think you all know this, but it's often a tough one. But all of them have the potential of being a really, really tough one. Specifically, I will say that first missions trips, especially overseas, you're attacked at your weakest point. And you're hit by things that you, you don't expect. You're like, I, I thought I had a handle on this or, or whatever. The enemy knows why you're going there and he will try and distract you. If he can't distract you, he'll try and deter you from the mission that God gave you. So the point is to Endure. Do not grow weary of doing good. Run the good race. Fight the good fight, right? Don't back down from persecution. Don't go looking for it. Right? Do the will of God and then endure anything that comes against you. But use the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to, to avoid whatever you can. Because you don't need more trouble than, than is coming for you already. But more than anything, continue in the faith and continue to strive to bring more to the faith. So their missions trip ends, and so does the persecution, at least for now, but it's not their their last missions trip, and they're going to go out for more. And uh, we'll pick it up next week, finish off chapter 14, and get into chapter 15.